Well, hello, church. It is great to be with you again today. If you're worshiping with us online or outdoors on the radio, we are so glad that you're here today. Uh, before I jump into the message and continue our series, uh, Back to Life, I wondered if we could just pray together. I don't know if you watch as much news as I do, but it's been a hard couple weeks in the news, you know. Uh, I mean, everywhere you look, there was a, another mass shooting at a FedEx center uh, in Indiana, I think. Uh, we had a, a death of a confused fella at a school down in Knoxville. He brought a gun to school, holed up in a bathroom, and then there was a shootout, and he died. Uh, we had a, another death of a, of a guy, and the best we can tell, the officer was going for her taser and instead drew a gun, and uh, Dante Wright is dead because of that mistake, it's a tragic mistake. Uh, we've had some attacks against police officers. I mean, I, I don't even, just a list. I, I, I really can't keep up. I read a story. I'm like, wait, have I already read this story or is this another thing? We've got, we've got some protests that stay protests. We've got some protests that turn into riots. And, um, you know, there are lots of ways to respond. Uh, but the one thing we know to do is we pray. And so I thought maybe we, before we jump into the series, we could just, just pray together uh, for our world if you'd join me. Lord God, we just depend on you. Um, you are sovereign, we are not. So God, would you bring peace where there is right now violence? God, where you, would you bring understanding where there is right now accusation? Would you bring justice, God, where right now there is injustice that cries out to the heavens. As you taught us, God, we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here on earth, even as it already is in heaven. We trust you to accomplish this, God. And if there's a role for us to play, just make it clear to us by your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're talking in this series about how do we get back to life, rooted in the reality that Jesus is alive, that Jesus came back to life, and that Jesus wants to give you life. We want more than to go back to normal. Last week, we, we talked about a spiritual exercise. I hope you did your homework. If not, it's not too late. It was just real simple homework. It was just to, to look at what we've lost to grieve that with God and then just say, okay, God, do you want me to go back to normal or go to life? Is there some new way? And I had a guy reach out to me in the middle of last week. He said, Ethan, I did my homework. I had four things that had just been ruined by, by COVID, some relational stuff, some professional stuff. And I, I took those four things to prayer and, and I, just really, I just really feel at peace that two of them, I can go back to normal and go back to what I was doing, that it was a good thing. But two of them, Normal was not what God wanted for me. And then I, it's probably good that those got disrupted. It's probably just as well that those got messed up by COVID because God, uh, well, they weren't on a godly track anyway. And I'm going to try and do something different. Would you pray for me? So if you didn't do your homework, go do your homework. It, it, it's, it's been helpful. It's been spiritually helpful for some people. Because see, what we know is what the Bible teaches us, that the roads we find for ourselves often don't take us to the place we want to go. 
We just see this. We see this all around us. It happened to me just this week. Uh, this is a little embarrassing, but this is, this is a real confession. There's no punchline. This isn't like a setup to a joke. This is just a real embarrassing thing that happened to me this week. From Sunday evening till about noon on Monday, I was angry. And not like the righteous anger, like I'm going to go save the world kind of angry. I was like angry, angry, like normal angry. I want to hurt somebody anger. See, what had happened is some Christians that I love and know had done some stuff that other Christians that I love and know didn't think those Christians that I love and know should have done. So the second group of Christians that I love and know did some stuff to the first group of Christians that I love and know that I don't think that group of Christians should have done to that group of Christians. You're following, right? It doesn't matter because you, you saw it happen last week. Maybe it's a different thing. I don't even know. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? People you love and trust did things to people you love and trust. And, and I was a little upset with all of them, but, but then eventually it, it, it kind of got, one of them did something. I was just, no, 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 that's too far. And I was mad. I was done with them. And I was just stuck in my anger. And I was doing that thing, and I hope, sure hope I'm not the only person in the room who's ever done this when you're mad, where I was brainstorming. How could I get in the mix on this? You know, if people are going to be doing stuff to people, maybe I should get in and do some stuff too. I'm smart. I could think of something to do. I was mad. Has, has that happened to you recently? I feel like that's happened to a lot of people. I really don't think I'm the only one. When I ask people what they've lost in this season, a lot of people talk about how they've lost a sense of unity and connection. Like, like sort of like we're on different roads. And, and some people are going that way, and some people are on a road going this way, and the people on this road are looking at the people on that road and be going like, you are going the wrong direction. And if you're one of those wrong direction people, I am just done with you. And I got a list of reasons why your direction is bad and why your direction is wrong. And, and I want to be clear, I don't, I'm not just talking about how this happens in the generic how one group of strangers gets mad at another group of strangers. In fact, I don't even want to talk about that at all. I want to talk about how this happens in the personal, because this is where we see it, right? And this is where I believe God's Spirit has the power to help us change it, right? In the last six months, I've had people tell me things like this. I don't even know how to talk to my kids anymore. Every time I talk to my kids, we end up talking about the news, and every time we talk about the news, all we do is fight. And it is driving us apart. Somebody said to me something like this. You know, at work, we used to sit around and disagree about politics and laugh and joke and kind of tease each other about it. Not now. I just keep my mouth shut in the lunchroom at work. I don't talk to anybody except about work and go home as fast. I used to love work, but not anymore. Somebody says to me, you know, it's funny. I lost a 20-year friendship this year over masks. I hope once all this is over, I can get it back. Somebody said, you know, I really want to talk to people to try and understand this kneeling controversy and what's going on with this. But every time I bring it up and ask any questions, both sides just shout me down that I don't already see things their way. Talked to a husband and wife, and they said, we have spent the whole nine months fighting 
about lockdown and when we should wear masks and whether we should wear masks and how careful we should be and we don't agree on it and all we can do is fight about it. See, when I talk about how things are getting torn apart, I don't mean some generic abstract. I mean people are telling me about relationships they care about that are being weakened, sometimes to the point of breaking in this present season. And as I look at this, there are a couple things I know. Uh, Here's one thing I know. Difference is not the problem. People are always different. People always disagree. People always see things differently. It's when difference becomes division and division becomes rejection and rejection becomes attack and condemnation and the creation of enemies. That's the problem. The other thing I know about this and the the relationships you have that are being scarred by what's going on, by by the enemy making of our culture, is going back to normal is not enough. Because while we all know it's gotten worse in the last year, it's not like it was perfect in 2019. The seeds of this ripping apart of our relationships were already planted in 2019. Going back to normal is not enough. Here's the other thing I know. This one's a little more controversial. But here's what I know. You see these roads? The roads that say my way, and if you're not going my way, you're wrong, you're evil, I reject you. Or, or this is my way, and if you're not going my way, you're wrong, you're evil, I reject you. These roads, they don't go where you think they go. They don't go to a place where we all agree and we're all at peace. Because here's the thing a lot of people don't know. Is that they're the same road. It's the same road. The road that that we're on, when I go my way and you go your way, and so we tear each other down. The road isn't about this way or this way. The road is the road of otherness and rejection and factions and cruelty. That's the road we're on. It's the same road. I know here, right here in the middle, it looked like completely different roads going completely different directions. I remember once, a long time ago, I was with my kids. We were on one of these little tiny roller coasters, you know, the, the kind that isn't a real roller coaster, but they build it so the little kids think they're going on a roller coaster. It's one of those, right? And there was a section in the middle where the roller coaster did a loop like this, and the two tracks went right by each other. And they had timed the two cars on the track. So when you did that, you went right past each other going the opposite direction. And no matter how many times we rode this, every single time as we rode by, my little kid would say to me, Daddy, I want to ride that roller coaster. Why can't we ever ride that roller coaster? And it didn't matter what I do. I did drawings on napkins. Nothing I could do can convince him. And I'm just telling you, I see people like, they're like, boy, I'm so glad I'm not on that roller coaster. And it was like, you're on, it's the same roller coaster. And it's not about whatever thing you are dividing over. It is about the fact of otherness and rejection and factions and cruelty. Fourth thing I know, though, and I know this because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There is a path out of this mess. There is hope. 
You do not have to watch your relationships with your kids and your parents, with your loved ones and your coworkers, with your spouse or your family or your friends. You do not have to watch them just erode like it's a natural consequence and you just got to get on your side of the road and ride around the roller coaster and just be, there, there is hope. There is another path. And that's what I just want to talk about real plainly. I want to be strategic. I want to be specific. This is a strategic path that even many Christians have forgotten to follow. I know that because I forgot just this week. I forgot there was another path. Until some good people and God's word were like, Ethan, did you forget about the other path? Like the one that isn't just going around in circles, creating more hatred. It's a specific path. It's a strategic path. It's a practical path. It's one that the Apostle Paul gave to the church in Corinth because they were also being ripped apart by division. Corinth was divided politically, economically. It was racially divided. And those divisions had snuck into the church and were tearing relationships apart. Even worse, the church was theologically divided. They had their theological camps and they fought over whose camp was the best. And in the midst of that, Paul gives them a specific specific relational strategy. And I want to learn this strategy today. I want you to learn it. And just now today, I don't want you to try and think about how this strategy might affect the whole world. I want you to think just how it might affect the relationships that matter to you most, that have been strained by the tensions in our world. Here's the strategy Paul gives them. If I could speak every language on earth, and even the language of the angels, but I didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans, and I possessed all knowledge, pause here just for a second. That's one of the easiest ways to get on this roller coaster, by the way, is to be sure you're right. Because that's what these two people have in common. Uh, They're over here. Like, I've got it figured out. I've got the knowledge. I know the right answer. And you people over there, you couldn't be more wrong. Paul says, if you got that, you've got it all figured out, but you don't love others, you got nothing. Your right answers don't add up to nothing if they're not completed by love. He says, he says, if I gave everything to the poor and I sacrificed my body, I could, I could brag about it. But if I didn't love others, I got nothing. Then he goes strategic on us. I want to be just press, press pause here for clear. You figured out Paul is not talking about an emotion, right? Like, the emotion of love is awesome. Obviously, I'm in favor of that emotion. Yay, good emotion. It will not solve the crisis that is happening in our relationships. Paul's talking about a strategy. Here's what he says. Love is patient and kind. That's not an emotion. That's a strategy. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. That's, that's what we do here, right? My way or, or the wrong way, you know? It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of wrongs. 
It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. I'm not, a, I'm not much for guarantees. But if you're coming to me and saying, Ethan, I want a guaranteed approach that will glorify God in the relationships of my life, this is a guarantee. Love never fails you. Other strategies, I can't guarantee whether they'll work or not. I don't know. But love doesn't fail. You, you, you think about those strategies, and it, it, my guess is you obviously, you instantly can see one or two or all of them that the world needs. You think, oh my goodness, if only the people arguing in the world would be a little more patient and let the truth come out, wouldn't that be great? Or if, if only they could not keep a record of wrongs, or if only they'd be less irritable, right? We can see it, but now I'm doing a little gut check for you. What about for you? If this, Paul says, is how Christians are meant to respond to the relational chaos in our lives, I'm just asking, is this what you're bringing? You know? And what would it look like if you did? Just, just dream for a second. Imagine what it would look like if you said, this is my new strategy for relational chaos in the workplace. I'm going to bring this. Like, whatever action I do, it has to come from that list. That's my whole list. I got to pick from that list. That's what I got. What would happen? Oh, think bigger than that. What would happen if all of us did? Like, imagine just for a second, if just those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ said, in the chaos of our relational world, I will only choose actions from the list Paul gives me in 1 Corinthians 13. That'd be awesome. I would love to live in that world. Wouldn't you love to have an argument in that world? That'd be such a great world to have an argument in, right? You'd say, I think this. And someone else would say, I couldn't disagree with you more. Tell me why, because that's a crazy thing you just said, but I can't wait to hear why you think that. Wouldn't that be a great way to disagree? I'd, be, I'd love to have a fight like that. If only we could pick from that list, that'd be awesome. In our elders meeting on Thursday, we were talking about this text uh, and its strategic value for how we engage in the relationships of our world. And, and one of our elders uh, made this point. He, he said, you know why we read this text at weddings? It's because in marriage, you are stuck together. And if you are stuck in a relationship, and you don't bring the strategic skills that are described in 1 Corinthians 13, it will turn bad fast. And anybody who has ever said, if anybody told you that marriage is like this super awesome, you know, bubble ride and it never goes bad and it's never really awful, that person is either a liar or they have never been married. Because once you are stuck with somebody, if you don't bring these skills to the table, it goes bad fast. And I'll just say, just a little tidbit, if you're in a marriage and you're wondering, why isn't our marriage not as good? It might be because you're not bringing these strategies to the table. I mean, I'm just saying, Betsy and I have been married 25 years. If she was keeping a record of wrongs, the world would not have enough paper. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be brutal if I still had to account for and bear the pain of all the stuff I've done wrong in our marriage for the last 25 years. Our marriage wouldn't be alive. It's only because she's bringing these strategies to the table. 
Now, now interesting, Betsy hasn't done a thing wrong in 25 years, so I wouldn't have a list. But there are probably other ways that I have to express love, I'm sure, as well. And, 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 and what, we, what we reflected on in our elders meeting is, in life, I think more of us need to realize that we're stuck together. We are stuck sharing this world with other people. And if we don't get serious about treating them in loving ways, recognizing we are stuck together for the long haul, even though we disagree, even though we see things differently, even though we have different approaches and perspectives and strategies and values and goals and worldviews, we're stuck together. So we better use these love techniques. If we don't, I think it's going to get bad fast. I think we see, we actually can look around and see, oh, this is what it looks like when we don't bring strategic love to the table. Again, you go back, you look at 1 Corinthians 13, that is a strategic text. Difference becomes division. Division creates enemies, and enemies shout and attack each other. And once that happens, even if our enemies did have something to teach us, even if maybe some part of their perspective was true, we, we can't hear it anymore because you can't learn anything from an enemy. Oh, no, that's not true. We actually do. We do. We learn one thing from our enemies. We learn how to fight back. And we learn that fast. And so the whole war escalates. But if we're stuck together, and we want off this roller coaster of otherness and rejection and factionalism and cruelty. If we want off the roller coaster, there is only one path off. And that's the path of love. Not the emotion, the strategy. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not keep a record of wrongs, love is not irritable, love does not demand its own way, love always hopes, always perseveres. That strategy. So how do you do it? How do you, how do you keep on that strategy? It certainly doesn't come naturally to me. Well, I can tell you how I got back on the strategy on Monday, and it's exactly what the Bible says, but I'll tell you what happened to me first. I got, I got poked. That's what happened. I was in relationship with a few people that a long time ago I gave spurs. I'll tell you what that means in a second, but that's what I'd done. I'd given them spurs. And I called him up Sunday afternoon and Monday morning, and I ranted. I yelled. I complained. I dreamed about all the things I was going to do. And when I paused for a breath, they poked me and said, I thought you were going to love people. Don't talk to me about love. I'm mad. Didn't I tell you what they did? And they poked again. I called somebody else. They poked. And the reason they poked is because they know what the Bible teaches in Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. So he starts by saying, don't you give up. God is faithful. And then this, let us consider. This is technically the Greek word for brainstorm. Let us brainstorm. Let us think about. Let us contemplate how we may poke each other toward love and good deeds. You know what a spur is, right? That's the thing you put on the back of the boot to drive it into the side of a horse so the horse remembers to run. He says that's what we need for love. We need to give other people permission to poke us 
till we remember to love. Think about, he says, brainstorm, contemplate how we're going to poke each other so hard we remember to love. And of course, he goes on, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This text functions on two levels. The first way it functions is diagnostically. And it asks you to analyze the groups that you're part of, the relationships you're building. Are you in groups that poke you and remind you to love or in groups that poke you to make you angry? I mean, what kind of group are you? I mean, this just says Christian groups, groups following Jesus, we help each other love more. And you could just use this diagnostically, right? Like maybe you're in a group at church. When you leave that group, are you more likely to have a posture of love toward the world or a posture of anger toward the world? And if that group is making you angry, there's something wrong with your group. Because groups in the name of Christ are meant to, we're meant to sit around and brainstorm. He's like saying, you think all week about what strategy you're going to use. So when you get together with your group, you make them love better. You have a plan to help each other love more. You could analyze your political affiliations that way. Or the social groups you're a part of, or the clubs you join, or the mailing lists you're on. Are, are, they, are they places where people are sitting around thinking about how to challenge one another toward love and good deeds? Or are they just trying to make each other mad so we can take out our enemies? Do they know that this is a roller coaster? It's the same road of rejection and cruelty? And that the path of love is the only way off? That's the first way this text functions is as diagnostic. It helps us analyze the communities we're a part of. And if you're part of a community that isn't helping you love more, you either need to change that community or get out. Get a part of a place that helps you love more. The second challenge is, I mean, the second part of this text is, is after it's diagnostic is it's a challenge. And it's a challenge to be in community. Don't pretend you can do it alone. Like, except for Jesus, I don't know anybody so committed to love that they don't every once in a while need somebody to poke them in the ribs and say, doggone it, remember to love. Don't talk like that. You know better. Love is patient. Love is kind. I need it all the time because I don't naturally follow these strategies. I need people around me calling me to it. So if you're not in a group, I don't think you're going to stay on these strategies alone. I just don't, I haven't seen anybody do it yet. So get somewhere. Get in relationships and give them the spurs. That's what happened to me. I was in relationships with people who knew they had my permission to call me back to love. And that's just what they did, which was just what I needed. So join dinner for eight. That, you couldn't be easier. We're just, we'll, we'll connect you. We'll get you going. We'll get it all figured out. You can sign up online. You can sign up in the connection kiosk. Just say, I, I want to I eat, eat a meal with eight other people, and we're going to poke each other toward love. Or, you know, last year in November, uh, we did these Love Does Groups things. And I, just dozens and dozens of people launched groups. And it was amazing what that did for your life. We're getting ready to do it again. We're going to call them happy groups this time. We're going to use a study by Andy Stanley about how does the, does, what is the biblical truth about how we really find joy in life. It's a great study. It's a, we want to help you launch a group. And we did it last fall. And I promise you, you can do it. And it works. But if you don't take 
take my word for it. Check this out right here. Well, hey everyone, my name's Janet. I'm on staff here on the group's team and I'm here with Tanya today. And Tanya, I noticed you posted some, something last week um, on Facebook about your small group. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you posted and why? I posted a couple pictures of my small group. Um, I said that it was the best thing that came out of the pandemic and I, I truly mean that. We actually got to go on a field trip this Sunday night. Uh, we went down to West Maine and partnered with them on their homeless ministry and then uh, went to Into the Fire and painted and then had dinner together. It was, uh, it was a fun night for us. That's amazing. I love hearing about that, that it's the best thing that came out of the pandemic for you. Uh, and tell me, how did your group even get started? Uh, so probably uh, late summer, early fall, we uh, were watching TV, on church, uh, worked in church on TV, and um, was just missing being together with people in worship. So started talking about the Love Does group, and I just felt like the Lord was telling me that I needed to start a group that... Uh, um, so I just texted uh, Justine and Megan and got them on board and um, we talked about should we let the boys come, should we let the kids come, and it became like a kind of a family right off the bat. And then I was driving to work one day and the Lord um, kind of impressed on me to invite um, a man and his wife that I was real good friends with from work that weren't involved with our church, but I just felt like they would be a good addition to the group. And that next Sunday we were all together and we've been together ever since. And my mom joined. So. Oh, wow, I love it's that, a, yeah. It's a great group. All the generations, and that it feels like a family. That's so beautiful. Oh, it's, it's well, definitely a family. Yeah, that's great. Well, if there's anyone in the church right now who's not in a group, what would you like to say to them? I think if you're feeling like you want to be in a group, that maybe that's the Lord telling you that you need to start one. I think the only reason we have this group is just that we were willing to, to give it a try. And... Uh, you know, not every week is a field trip, but we, we get into the word and we eat dinner together and we have a group text that we share each other's burdens and we pray with each other. And uh, these people have become a second family for us and we depend on them. And um, it's just really fulfilling, especially in the year that we've had to have that extra support. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that. And that's the experience we hope that everyone in our church would have. So if you're sitting there right now and you want to get in a group, we would love for you to start one or join one. So reach out to me, do anything you can to make sure you get to have that experience of a second family and a way to connect with others in God. Yeah. All right. Praise God. I agree. It works. Um, Connection works. We want to make this happen for you. I, I love what they said. If you're feeling the sense that I want to be in community, that might be God's way of saying you need to launch one. Launch a group where what you do is brainstorm how to help each other love better. We'll, we'll give you all the resources you need. We'll equip you, support you. If you're not ready to launch a group, we'll plug you into somebody else with somebody else who is launching a group. We're going to do some mid-sized things on, on Tuesdays. We're calling them happy groups just to give them a fun name. You can go online, fcc-jc.org slash happy. Uh, for those of you that are worshiping with us online, that's probably the easiest way for you to get more info. If you're here in the room, uh, stop by. A connection kiosk. They'll give you all the info you need. If you're not in a group, you need one for all kinds of reasons. I mean, you heard what they said. They're having fun. They're studying the Bible. But one of the reasons you need one is so somebody will poke you in the ribs when you forget to love. Because that's the strategy the Bible gives us. You are meant to be an agent of love. And start in the relationships that are closest to you, that matter the most to you. 
How are you going to repair things with your parents and your kids and your coworkers and your friends and your family and your loved ones? Well, you're going to be patient, kind, not keep it. You're going to do. You're going to just work the strategy, and then it will go on from there. I, you know, full disclosure, I am sad for our world. I am because I feel like so many people have sort of given up on loving their enemies. And that's what it feels. It just feels like kind of culturally, we've just given up on loving our enemies. Even so many Christians have just sort of given up on that. And that does make me really sad. But I have not lost hope. Because, see, this one time, Jesus was dead. And he came back to life. And if God can raise a man from the dead, he can teach me how to love again and teach you and teach us and then another person and then another person and soon it catches on. One of our elders in this conversation shared this quote, I really do not like that man. I must get to know him better. It's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He knew a thing or two about a divided world. And so did Jesus, and so did Paul. And they knew that the paths we are walking on don't go where we think they go. And the only path that does is love. It's patient and kind and humble, not irritable, looks to others' interests, no record of wrongs, that's faithful, perseveres, that hopes. Love never fails. If you're serious about that and you want to bring more love into the world, you get connected with people that will help you. And together, if we do that, the Lord Jesus Christ might just lead us back to life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we trust you for your grace and mercy, for so often we fall short of this call to love as you have loved us. But we are believing, God, that you will still make possible what seems impossible that you will still make a way where there is no way. And right now, God, we just lean into your grace and ask, God, that you would call us to love, not the emotion, but the strategy, and that we might see out of that love rising the work of your Spirit, the miracle of reconciliation that we long for in our world. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray.